And welcome to Above Replacement Radio, where we're talking baseball kind of whenever. I'm your host, Chris Gianta. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I'm doing good. We got some more history this week. We got a very recent team, and we got a very uh, non-recent player. Yes, that is true. And, you know, we've been been pretty uh, Yankee-heavy as of late. Uh, Episode... 77 featured Lou Gehrig episode 80 featured the 1998 Yankees and uh, episode 84 is featuring Joe DiMaggio. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, ha- I'm happy to talk about it. Yeah. I'm all for it. Um, uh, yeah. And yeah, Joe, we got Joe DiMaggio. We got uh, the 2019 nationals and this part of the episode, we'll be just talking about uh Joe DiMaggio, the 2019 Nationals part of the episode will be released uh, tomorrow. So we'll start off with Joe DiMaggio and uh, how he grew up. There's not really much on his his growing up other than he was born in Martinez, California. And he was first generation American uh, as both his parents were from Sicily. And, you know, he sort of had to uh, learn English along with them. And when, uh, and Joe DiMaggio also uh, dropped out of high school and just was kind of a, was just kind of a ball player looking, looking around, seeing what was going on uh, in terms of where he could go playing baseball. And when Joe was 17, his brother Vince uh, was playing for a Pacific Coast League team called the San Francisco Seals. And when the team needed a shortstop for the end of their season, uh, Vince persuaded the manager to give Joe a chance uh, with the team, the San Francisco Seals. And uh, Joe made enough of an impression in three games uh, to get a contract for their next season for $225 a month. So that's all, all we really have on uh Joe DiMaggio, him coming up, it just seemed to live a, a pretty normal life as a first-generation American and was a good enough ball player to uh, play professionally at the age of uh, 17. So uh, usually we're talking minor leagues with certain players, but it's really only one minor league for uh, Joe DiMaggio uh, as he only played for the uh, he only played in the Pacific Coast League. And in 1933, uh, DiMaggio was moved to the outfield from uh, his shortstop position. And he also hit 340 and slugged 540 in 1933. And he set a Pacific Coast League record with a 61-game hitting streak, sort of a precursor for the future for DiMaggio. And in 1934, he hit 341, and slugged 517, uh, but he did miss time due to a knee injury, which made MLB teams hesitant to sign uh, DiMaggio. And at this point, uh, after 1934, the New York Yankees offered to buy his contract for $25,000 and five players, but only under the deal that DiMaggio would play all of the 1935 season with San Francisco uh, to show that he was healthy. So they would agree to pay to buy his contract 
if he played a full season in 1935. And DiMaggio went on to have his best season in 1935 in the PCL. He hit 398 and slugged 672 in 1935 and compiled 270 hits in 172 games. You know, in the Pacific Coast League, they were uh, in the West Coast in California where um, they don't really have seasons, so they could play more games. And he ended up playing 172 in 1935. Uh, So the Yankees saw that he was primed to play full seasons no matter what and uh, they brought him up to the big leagues uh, pretty much immediately after that 1935 season and this is an era of Joe DiMaggio's career um, where it where he makes an immediate impact and he's getting immediate praise Uh, he's kind of becomes a um, a big uh, he he becomes a huge star uh, with the help of the media Um, this is from 1936 to 1938 where he's just growing as a ball player and uh, getting a lot of praise for what he already is able to do at such a young age. So he made his MLB debut on May 3rd, 1936, and he was immediately slotted in the number three spot ahead of Lou Gehrig, uh, which was where Babe Ruth used to hit. So no pressure on, uh, on the young DiMaggio. And DiMaggio got three hits in each of the first two games and two plus hits in each of the first three games. And through the end of May, he was hitting 381 with a 1059 OPS and 29 RBI in 26 games. And DiMaggio also had eight games with three plus hits in his first 25 games. And that remains the most three hit games by a player in their first 25 career games. Perfect. Got to get that louder. So no one else has had more, more three hit games in their first 25 career games than Joe DiMaggio. So he definitely made an impression. And by July 13th, he was on the cover of time magazine sort of as the new uh, star in New York, you know, Lou Gehrig's uh, career, you know, Lou Gehrig was approaching his mid thirties at this point, you know, not that people knew that his career was going to end as abruptly as it did, but, you know, Joe DiMaggio was the new flavor in New York uh, and was, and got on the cover of time magazine because of this. And he ended up starting in right field at the all-star game as well. And from his debut on, uh, he played in each of the Yankees' 138 remaining, uh, each of the Yankees' remaining 138 games. And he ended up hitting 323 with a 928 OPS, 128 OPS plus, and 122 weighted runs created plus. DiMaggio also finished fourth in home runs with 29, eighth and eighth in RBI with 125. Uh, DiMaggio also led the league in triples with 15, and he finished 10th in B-War and 8th in F-War, and he ended up finishing 8th in the MVP vote. And among all rookie seasons, uh, his 206 hits in 1936 uh, ranked 10th, 
His 125 RBI ranked sixth. His 132 runs scored ranked fifth. And uh, it ranked second in the modern era since 1900. And his 367 total bases in his rookie year ranked third among all rookie seasons. And his 48 games with two plus hits uh, and one or more RBI remain the most in a single season by a player 21 or younger. And his 1936 season remains the only season by a rookie with 40 plus doubles, 15 plus triples, and 26 plus home runs. And the Yankees ended up going 102 and 51, and they won the American League pennant by a 19 and a half game margin. So, on to the World Series. Uh, in game one, DiMaggio went one for four in a six to one loss to the Giants. Uh, and then in game two, he went three for five with a double and two RBI in an 18 to four victory. In game three, he went one for three with a double and a two to one win. Uh, in game four, he went 0 for four in a five to two win. In game five, he went one for four with a walk in a five to four loss. And in game six, uh, DiMaggio went three for six with an RBI in a 13 to five win, which made DiMaggio a World Series champion. And DiMaggio throughout the 1936 World Series hit 346 with an 832 OPS and three RBI uh, in that in that World Series. So now we move on to 1937, and DiMaggio's got a lot to prove still. He's got to prove that that wasn't a fluke, and he's got to avoid the sophomore slump. And suffice to say, that didn't, that didn't happen. On July 9th, he went 5-for-5 five five with a walk, double, triple, two home runs, and seven RBI. I'm assuming that means he hit for the cycle. It remains the only game by a player aged 22 or younger with two-plus home runs and at least one double or triple. It also remains the only game by a player 22 or younger with five-plus hits and seven-plus RBI. And throughout the year, he dominated once again. He ended up finishing third in average with a 346, third in OPS with a 1085, third in OPS plus with a 166, and second in weighted runs created plus with a 165. He also hit 386 with runners in scoring position, so he had that clutch gene. And he led the league in total bases. He led the league in runs scored with 151, home runs with 46, and slugging percentage with 673. And he finished second in B-War and led the league in F-War. He also finished second in the MVP vote that season. And among players in their age 22 season or younger, he is his 215 hits ranked ninth in a single season and his 1085 OPS ranked fifth, minimum 500 plate appearances. And also his 673 slugging percentage ranked second minimum 500 plate appearances, his 46 home runs ranked second, and his 167 RBI ranked first. His 151 runs scored are the most by a player in their age 22 season or younger in the modern era. That is since 1900. And also his 1937 season remains the only season by a player in their age 22 season or younger with 150 plus runs scored and 150 plus RBI. 
It also remains the only season by a player in their age 22 season or younger with 650 plus plate appearances, a 340 plus average, and a 650 plus slugging percentage. It also remains the only season in the history of baseball with 115 plus singles, 35 plus doubles, 15 plus triples, and 45 plus home runs. And the Yankees, they were just as dominant as ever. They went 102 and 52 and won the pennant by a 13 game margin. So now DiMaggio goes into his second World Series in his second season and down one nothing in the sixth inning of game one to the Giants. With the bases loaded, he hit a two run single and he ended up going two for four with two RBI. And the Yankees won the game eight to one. In game two, he went two for four in an eight to one win. In game three, he went one for five in a five to one win. In game four, he went 0 for 4 with an RBI flyout. The sack fly wasn't a, wasn't a term yet. In a seven to three loss, and in game five, he went one for three with one for five with a home run in a four to two win, which gave DiMaggio his second World Series title. And throughout that World Series, he hit 273 with a 682 OPS with four RBI in five games. So now on to 1938, uh, the last season of this uh, so-called era of Joe DiMaggio. Um, not, you know, exactly uh, breaking headlines with, with this season, but still extremely, extremely good. He hit 324 with a 967 OPS, a 139 OPS plus, and a 137 weighted runs created plus. And DiMaggio ended up finishing seventh in OPS, ninth in OPS plus, and seventh in weighted runs created plus. And DiMaggio had 140 RBI. And he remains the only player in baseball history to have 125-plus RBI in each of their first three seasons. How about that? And this was his third season with 25-plus home runs and 10-plus triples. No other player has more than one such season in their first three seasons. And his 1938 is the only season in baseball history with 30-plus home runs, 140-plus RBI, and less than 25 strikeouts. How about that? And the Yankees went 99-53 and in 1938 and won the pennant once again. And the 1938 World Series was relatively uneventful as the Cubs only held a lead for four full innings while the Yankees had held a lead for 19 full innings, almost five times as long as the Cubs did. And the Yankees swept the Cubs. Uh, DiMaggio went four for 15 with a walk, uh, one home run, and two RBI, uh, his third World Series title. And now we get into, uh, now we get into peak Clipper. The best, uh, best three years, you could, you could argue, or the best, you know, comp- compilation of three seasons in Joe DiMaggio's career. So unfortunately in 1939, Joe DiMaggio had to miss all of May uh, with an injury, but he had a 400 average on the season through September 10th. And he ended up winning the batting title batting 381. He finished second in OPS with an 1119 second in OPS plus with a 184 and second in weighted runs created plus with 180. He also hit 394 with runners in scoring position and drove in 126 runs in 120 games. 
He finished sixth in D-War and seventh in defensive runs above average. And as you can imagine, he led the league in wins above replacement on both websites. He also won the MVP that season. And this is the only season in the live ball era since 1920 with 500 plus plate appearances, 1100 plus OPS, and 20 or fewer strikeouts. The Yankees once again won the pennant. They went 106 and 45, and they won by a 17 game margin. So now DiMaggio is once again in the World Series. And in game one, he went one for three with a walk in a two to one win. In game two, he went one for four in a four to nothing win. And in game three, with the Yankees down three to two in the third and a man on first, DiMaggio hit a, th- hit a two-run home run to take the lead, and he ended up going one for four on the day in a seven to three win. And he was one for four on the day in game four when, wait, this is game four? That's uh, yeah. yeah. And then in game four, he was one for four on the day when he came up in a tie game in the 10th inning. The first of the 10th, the score tied four apiece. Grossetti had walked. Keller was safe on Myers' fumble. DiMaggio lined a single to right. Grossetti scored. Keller then headed for home, and as he spun Lombardi around, the ball dropped out of his glove. Wait a minute, here comes that man again. Joe DiMaggio hits terra firma like a comet with a graceful fallaway slide to his left. Clips the corner of the plate with his right toe for the third run to score on this play. Well, there seems to be some doubt about you tagging the plate there, Joe. Umpire Pinelli was right. Joe's foot is right on the home dish, which puts the Yankees in a 7-4 lead. So the Yankees, so Joe DiMaggio gives the Yankees a 7-4 lead there, and they would win by that exact score, giving them the series win and Joe DiMaggio his fourth championship in just his fourth season. He ended up going 5-16 for 16 in the series with a walk, a home run, and free RBI on the series. So now we switch decades here and go to his 1940 season, and he won the batting title with a 352. He finished second in OPS plus in OPS with a 1051 Barry Bonds career OPS. He also finished second in weighted runs created plus with a 167. He also led the league in OPS plus with a 173. And his 421 average with runners in scoring position uh, was extremely good as he drove in 133 runs in 132 games. He led the league in B-War and he finished second in F-War, giving him third place in the MVP vote. His 691 career RBI up to this point remained the most through a player's first five seasons. And the Yankees went 88 and 66, finishing third in the American League, two behind the pennant winner. So for the first time in Joe DiMaggio's career, he will not be crowned a World Series champion. Yes, this was a this was a very sad time for Joe DiMaggio. Yeah. Uh, he's he was used to every year, every year getting that title. Uh, and in 1941, he did his best to uh, to get back to that fall classic. Um, his 1941 season is very very famous for uh, for one big big reason. And uh, the story starts on May 13th and May 14th, where uh, he went consecutive games hitless, which was probably not a normal sight uh, from a guy like Joe DiMaggio, who was especially good at putting the ball in play and uh, getting on base via the hit. Uh, but on May 15th, went one for four, albeit a 13 to one loss, but 
he was able to kind of right the ship uh, in a way on May 15th. In fact, uh, 40 games later, on June 29th, DiMaggio is still holding a hitting streak that he started on that previously mentioned date, May 15th. And on on June 29th, uh, he broke George Sisler's modern era record, 41 game hit streak. And on July 2nd, he broke Willie Keeler's all time uh, record, 44 game hit streak. So all all records being smashed by Joe DiMaggio in terms of his hit streak. And on July 17th, DiMaggio went 0 for 3 to snap the hitting streak at 56 games. And uh, during his 50 game, during his 56 game hit streak, uh, DiMaggio only struck out five times. Uh, also, those five times once every 49.4 plate appearances. Absolutely insane the ability for him to put the ball in play. And to this day, uh, no one else has passed 44 games in a row with a hit. And the game, uh, the game after the streak ended, uh, DiMaggio started a 16-game hitting streak. So he ended up hitting safely in 72 out of 73 games. Uh, unreal from, uh, from the Clipper. And he ended up on the year having a very good year. Uh, a spectacular year and ended up finishing third in average with a 357 average second in OPS with a 1083 second in OPS plus with a 185 uh, a career high in both OPS and OPS plus and he finished second in weighted runs created plus with 181 and also on the defensive side of the ball very good as well finished eighth in D war and eighth in defensive runs above average and DiMaggio also led the league in total bases, lowest strikeout percentage, striking out in only 2.1% of his at of his plate appearances. And he also led the league in RBI with 125. And DiMaggio finished second in B war and second in F war. And despite this, won the most valuable player award um, over over a guy who uh, had a 1287 uh, OPS, but what can you do? Um, and uh, still a, a very, very spectacular season and would have led the league in wins above, in wins above replacement uh, most years uh, in, uh, in baseball history. And DiMaggio remains the only player ever to have 125 plus RBI in each of his first six seasons How about that? and his six seasons uh, with 125 plus RBI through his age 26 season remain the most through an age 26 season. How about that? And DiMaggio also remains the only player ever to have a 320 plus average and 25 plus home runs in each of his first six seasons. And his six seasons uh, with a 320-plus average and 25-plus home runs through his age 26 season uh, remain the most through an age 26 season. How about that? And his 1941 season is the only season in the live ball era 
with 125 plus RBI and less than 14 strikeouts. And it is the only season in baseball history with 30 plus home runs and less than 15 strikeouts. His 1941 is also the only season in baseball history with 620 plus plate appearances, a 1050 plus OPS, and less than 14 strikeouts. And the Yankees ended up going 101 and 53 and won the pennant by a 17 game margin, finally getting back to the World Series after that treacherous year. And in the World Series, uh, in the first two games for DiMaggio, who, he went 0 for 7 combined, uh, and that was where the Yankees and Dodgers split uh, each of those games with the series tied 1-1. In Game 3, DiMaggio went 2 for 4 with a game-tying RBI single in the eighth inning, uh, which ended up helping the Yankees to a 2-1 to win. Uh, in Game 4, he went 2 for 4 with a walk uh, in a 7-4 to win, and in game five, he went one for four in a three to one win, which gave DiMaggio his fifth World Series championship. And this kind of this caps off a dominant era for Joe DiMaggio, where Do- Joe DiMaggio was uh, the best player in baseball from 1937 to 1941. DiMaggio averaged a 350, 420. 638-1058 quadruple slash line, a 168 OPS plus, 165 weighted runs created plus, 34 home runs, 138 RBI, 7.8 B war, and 8.2 F war per year. And also from 1937 to 1941, minimum 2,000 plate appearances. He was second in OPS, second in OPS plus, and second in weighted runs created plus. And he was first in average, and he was also, with no minimums, third in home runs, second in runs scored, and he led all of baseball from 1937 to 1941 in RBI, and more importantly, B-War and F-War, uh, making him the best player in that five-year stretch. So now we move on to 1942, where it's a farewell season, but it's not because... Um, it's not because the uh, his career is about to end. No. So in 1942, it was actually a tough year for him on the baseball field. He set career lows in average and OPS, but he still finished top 10 in each. He finished seventh in average with a 305, sixth in OPS with an 875, fifth in OPS plus with a 147, and sixth in weighted runs created plus with a 143. He finished fourth in B-War and fourth in F-War which gave him seventh in the MVP vote. And the Yankees, they went 103-51 and and won the pennant once again. So now back in the World Series, this time against the Cardinals. And in game one, DiMaggio went three for five with an RBI in a seven to four win over the St. Louis Cardinals. But in game two, he went one for four with an RBI in a four to three loss. In game three, he went two for four in a two nothing loss. And in game four, he went 0 for 4 in a 9 to 6 loss. So all of a sudden, the Yankees had their backs against the wall. In game five, with the game tied in the fourth inning, Joe DiMaggio hit an RBI single, but the Yankees would still come up just short. They lost the game 4 to 2, which eventually lost them the series. 
DiMaggio, it wasn't his fault, though. He ended up going seven for 21 with three RBI throughout the series, but without a walk or an extra base hit, exclusively singles. Uh, yes, Joe DiMaggio um, was, a, was a single guy, singles guy in the 1940s. Yeah. Not the last Yankee that would be a singles guy. Yeah, def- definitely not. But DiMaggio, you know, overall, definitely not a singles guy. But in that series... Uh, he was uh, he was yeah. just poking the ball into the outfield. Um, three thirty, a nice three thirty three, three thirty three, three thirty three slash line, sixty seven, with a six sixty seven OPS. Uh, you know, it's it's debatable how how good how good that player is. But yeah. anyway, now we head into uh, Joe DiMaggio's sort of halftime for his baseball career. Um, this is from nineteen forty three to nineteen forty five. Uh, DiMaggio enlisted in the Army Air Force on February 17th, 1943. I'm guessing pretty much everyone, everyone his age with his, um, with his physical health probably just had to, uh, had to enlist into the Army and do military service during World War II, if you didn't know, if you didn't know the significant events of what was going on during this time period in, in American history. But uh, DiMaggio, like most players, did not uh, see combat and spent a lot of his time playing baseball uh, on the uh, on the uh, army bases. And from 1943 to June of 1944, he was stationed in Santa Ana Army Santa Santa Ana Army Base in California. And on July 12th of 1943, uh, DiMaggio played on a team of Armed Forces All Stars against the Boston Braves and in June. So it was a uh, little, little event, a nice fun event to have remind them of, uh, of the big leagues once again. And in June of 1944, uh, DiMaggio was transferred to Honolulu, Hawaii, and he served with the seventh air force and he played with their baseball team which featured other Hall of Famers, Red Ruffin and Joe Gordon. And he also played against more Hall of Fame players like Phil Rizzuto, uh, Pee Wee Reese, and Johnny Mize. The, those guys were part of the competition against DiMaggio. And later on in 1944, he was hospitalized due to a stomach ulcer. Uh, and he spent a lot of 1945 in different hospitals due to uh, stomach ulcers, unfortunately. And DiMaggio was medically discharged in on September 14th, 1945. And, uh, you know, this is a quote from, uh, from Joe DiMaggio, a biography by David Jones. It says, quote, DiMaggio res- resented the war with an intensity equal to the most battle-scarred private. It had robbed him of the best years of his career. When he went into the army, DiMaggio had been a 28-year-old superstar, still at the height of his athletic powers. By the time he was discharged from the service, he was 31, divorced, underweight, malnourished, and bitter. Those three years, 1943 to 1945, would, ca- would carve a gaping hole in DiMaggio's career totals, creating an absence that would be felt like a missing limb. So DiMaggio definitely resented the impact the war had on his career. 
but he looked to make up for that uh, starting in 1946. But it's kind of a, a slower return by Jolt and Joe standards. Still pretty good, but not quite to the standards they set, you know, in 1939, 40, 41, seasons like that. So in 1946, after returning, uh, New York Daily News dubbed DiMaggio America's number one athletic hero. And it makes sense. I mean, he was obviously a great player on the field and he went off to war. So very deserving. But unfortunately for Joe, he was struggling by his standards in the first half of the season. Through July 7th, he was hitting 271 with an 818 OPS. And after that date, he did not play again until August 2nd. After returning, he hit 317 with a 961 OPS, and he ended the season with a 290 average, an 878 OPS, 142 weighted runs created plus, and 142 OPS plus on the year. He finished fifth in OPS, seventh in OPS plus, and sixth in weighted runs created plus. He finished eighth in B War and eighth in F War, which gave him 19th in the MVP vote. And the Yankees went 87 and 67, which was third in the AL, 17 games behind the eventual winners, which were the Boston Red Sox. So on to 1947, where he makes some improvements, uh, some slight, slight improvements. He's back above 300 in the batting average column, back above 900 in the OPS column, and above 150 in the weighted runs created plus OPS plus column. He finished seventh in average with a 315, second in OPS with a 913, uh, second in OPS plus with a 154, and second in weighted runs created plus with a 152 and he finished seventh in B war and fourth in F war. And unfortunately for him, this was the first year with negative D war and defensive runs above average for DiMaggio, meaning he was below average in the field at this point. I guess it makes sense with age. It happens. And his F war ended up being a career low for him. And his B war was tied for a career low uh, with his rookie season. But despite all of this, uh, DiMaggio was still voted as the American League MVP in 1947, beating out Ted Williams in vote points by two, uh, 202, by the score of 202 to 201. So DiMaggio, even though it was his worst year, he was still seen as one of the best in the game and the best in the American League. And part of the reason that he won this award was the Yankees' success. Uh, they went 97-57 and 57 and won the American League pennant by a 12-game margin. So in the uh, World Series, uh, in the first two games, DiMaggio went one for four in each of those games with one walk in game two, and the hits, uh, the hits ended up being singles with the bases empty, and the Yankees won both games over the Dodgers. So DiMaggio didn't really come up in any big situations uh, in the first two games. Um, just going one for four, doing your job. And in game three, he went two for four with a walk, RBI single, and two-run two home run uh, in a nine-to-eight loss. And in game four, he went 0 for two with two walks, including an RBI walk in a three-to-two loss. And in game five, he went one for four with a home run and a walk and a, in a two to one win. And in game six, uh, in game six, uh, with the Yankees down, 
eight to five in the bottom of the sixth. Uh, DiMaggio, uh, there were two men on and two men out for Joe DiMaggio. And Joe DiMaggio was looking to tie it. Two men on, th three run ball game, looking to tie it. The Yankees sixth with runners on first and second and two men away. DiMaggio smashes a long, long drive into deep left field. John Frito, after a desperate twisting run to the 415-foot marker, makes a sensational gloved hand catch of DiMaggio's terrific wallop. This greatest of all World Series outfield catches stopped a sure home run and prevented the three runs that would have knotted up the game at 8-8. Eight and eight. If I'm not mistaken, that is the uh, that is the second week in a row that our history player had was robbed of a home run in one of the highlights. Yes, that is that is true, and uh, yeah, Johnny Bench last week in the All Star you, uh, game, right? If you tuned in, yeah, he was robbed of a home run by Carly Ostremski in his first career All Star game. Um, but DiMaggio was robbed of a game tying World Series home run, Much and this. This moment was kind of famous in DiMaggio's career because DiMaggio's slight kick of the dirt at the end there after the catch, uh, if you saw on YouTube, um, is described by many as a rare show of emotion from DiMaggio and maybe the biggest show of emotion fans ever saw from him. So it says something about DiMaggio that a slight kick of the dirt said so much, but it also says something about that moment. He really wanted that game tying home run. Uh, you know, he hasn't, he's a guy who had won a World Series in each of his four games. He hadn't won one uh, at this point in six years. So he was really mad that he was not able to get that one over the fence uh, at that point. He ended up one for five on that day, and the Yankees lost eight to six. And in game seven, DiMaggio went 0 for three with a walk in a five to two win, which gave DiMaggio his sixth World Series championship. And throughout the series, DiMaggio slashed 231, 375, 462, 837 with five RBI in uh, in seven games. So now, uh, after this kind of slow start after the war, we start to see some flashes of the Clipper of old, even though he gets injured uh, in one season especially. Uh, we start to see these rate statistics go up and um, look like the Joe DiMaggio of old. So in 1948, he had uh, he had second highest marks in home runs with 39 and RBI with 155. He also hit 349 this season with runners in scoring position. And throughout the year, he finished seventh in average with a 320, second in OPS with a 994, third in OPS plus with a 164, and third in weighted runs created plus with 158. He also led the league in total bases, home runs, and RBI. He finished third in baseball reference war and third in Fangraphs war, which gave him second in the MVP vote. And his 1948 remains the only season in baseball history with 38 plus home runs and 30 or fewer strikeouts. His 1,277 career RBI up to this point remained the most ever through a player's first 10 seasons. And the Yankees, they went 94 and 60, which is very good, but still two and a half games behind the eventual division winners. 
pennant winners, which were the Cleveland Indians. Yep, last time last time we saw them win a World Series, unfortunately yeah. for them. And on to 1949, which is kind of highlighted in Joe DiMaggio's career um, for good and bad reasons. Uh, because of a bone spur in his right heel that lingered during the 1948 season, DiMaggio missed the Yankees' first 65 games in 1949. And he started his season in a three-game series against the Red Sox at Fenway Park. And in those three games, he came out swinging for sure. He went five for 11 with two walks, a hit by pitch, four home runs, and nine RBI. Well, the Yankees swept the Red Sox. So definitely an exclamation point for Joe DiMaggio's uh, return to the Yankees in 1949. And after September 17th, uh, the Yankees were two and a half games ahead of the Red Sox for the lead in the pennant race. And September 17th was the last game DiMaggio played uh, before he had to be hospitalized with pneumonia. And DiMaggio missed 12 games uh, in this in uh, in this stretch in the 19 at the end of the 1949 season. And the Yankees went six and six in, in his absence. And the Red Sox went eight and one during this period and had a one game lead in the pennant race heading into the final series of the year for each team. Uh, and this, the final season for final series for each team uh, was a two game series where they played each other. And the Yankees would need to win both games uh, to win the pennant for. 1949 after the Red Sox had this had this late surge and before the first game of the series the Yankees actually held Joe DiMaggio day um, I'm thinking possibly this was held with the Yankees thinking that his health problems were going to end his career sooner than it actually ended up ending uh, and this was where Joe DiMaggio day there were 69,551 fans that were in attendance for Joe DiMaggio Day. And there were several speeches, including one from the mayor. And DiMaggio received what the New York Times described as a, quote, small mountain of gifts. And he also received $5,500 in cash gifts, uh, which he ended up giving to the New York Heart Fund and the Damon Runyon Memorial Cancer Fund, uh, via check. So any money that he got was going to good causes um, immediately. And DiMaggio was the last to speak at this ceremony. Uh, and that is where he famously said, I want to thank the good Lord for making me a Yankee. And that quote, of course, has famously been on a sign on the way to the Yankees dugout from their clubhouse, where Yankees players, most notably Derek Jeter, have touched the sign on the way out. Uh, as you've seen on all the MLB films and and all that. That's where the quote originated from, Joe DiMaggio Day, October 1st, 1949. And they still had some games to play. And with his compromised condition, uh, he told the manager that he hoped to play three innings in the first game. He ended up playing the whole first game, all nine innings. And uh, in the second game, with the Yankees up five to nothing in the ninth, uh, DiMaggio did not reach a fly ball that he felt like he normally would have caught. And he took himself out of the game because 
he felt that he was being a detriment to the team at this point, you know, especially with his compromised condition. Um, and in these two games, he went three for eight with two extra base hits combined. And the Yankees won both games, uh, ensuring that they won the pennant. They had to win two games to win the pennant, and they did that indeed. Uh, and DiMaggio, as a whole in 1949, ended up being extremely productive in the 76 games he played. He hit 346 with a 1055 OPS, 178 OPS plus, <clears throat> 176 weighted runs created plus, and he hit 377 with runners in scoring position. And the Yankees record, the uh, Yankees winning percentage without him was five, without him was 595, but with him, it was 667. So the difference was definitely felt uh, with DiMaggio in the lineup. And he was still able to crack the top 10 in war despite missing half the season. And he finished ninth in B war and eighth in F war. And he finished 12th in the MVP vote. And the Associated Press uh, gave him its award for the sport for sports's greatest comeback of 1949. And in the World Series, uh, DiMaggio went one for 14 with two walks uh, in the first four games, but he did not have a single at bat with runners in scoring position. And the Yankees won three out of four, so it didn't really seem to matter. Uh, how Joe DiMaggio was doing just, you know, not much ability to uh, get on base via the hit Uh, in game five. uh, DiMaggio did a little better. He went one for four with a walk RBI fly out and a solo home run in a 10 to six win, which gave uh, DiMaggio his seventh world series championship. So now we turn the decade once again to 1950. And through September 1st, Joe DiMaggio was hitting 285 with a 925 OPS. And the Yankees were in a tight race with the Detroit Tigers for the pennant. And DiMaggio ensured that the Yankees won the pennant by hitting 366 with a 1202 OPS and a 375 average with runners in scoring position and 30 RBIs in his final 26 games in which the Yankees went 17-9. and He also ended up hitting 301 on the year with a 979 OPS, 151 OPS plus, and 145 weighted runs created plus. He finished second in OPS, second in OPS plus, and second in weighted runs created plus. He led the league in slugging percentage with a 585. He finished fifth in B war and fifth in F war. He also finished ninth in the MVP vote. And it is the only season by a player in their age 35 season or older with 30-plus home runs and less than 35 strikeouts. It is also the only season by a player in their age 35 season or older with 30-plus home runs, 30-plus doubles, and 10-plus triples. And the Yankees once again won the pennant, so they were on to yet another World Series for DiMaggio. And in Game 1, he went 0-2 with two walks in a 1-0 win over the Philadelphia Phillies. And in game two, he had some big moments offensively and defensively. Up the ball game at 1-1. In the fill sixth, Dale Ennis blasts a tremendous drive to the 400-foot light pole in deep center field. But DiMaggio robs him of a hit with a beautiful glove hand catch. In the first half of the 10th, 
The leadoff man for the Yanks is Joe DiMaggio. Roberts takes the signal and winds up. Here's the pitch, and Joe uncorks a mighty blow that blasts the ball into the second deck of the left field stand. This important round tripper puts the Yanks ahead two to one. It's the seventh home run for DiMaggio in World Series competition. So Joe DiMaggio hits the go-ahead home run. The Yankees end up winning two to one and going up two to nothing in the series. In game three, he went one for three with a walk in a three to two win. And in game four, he went two for three with a hit by pitch and an RBI double in a five to two win, which gave DiMaggio his eighth championship. He also ended up going four for 13 in the series with a 471 OBP, a 1086 OPS, which was the best OPS and OBP in a World Series for him. So Joe DiMaggio with an awesome start to the decade, but in 1951, it seemed he was ready to hang it up. Different injuries held him to only 116 games that season, and he set career lows in average with a 263, slugging with a 422, OPS with a 787, OPS plus with a 116, and weighted runs created plus with a 118. He also set career worsts in home run percentage, strikeout percentage, and wins above replacement on both websites. However, the Yankees still went in 98 and 56 to win an AL pennant. And in what likely would have been Joe DiMaggio's last World Series, he did not reach base in 11 plate appearances through the first three games, where the Yankees lost two out of three to the Giants. In game four, he struck out in his first plate appearance, then singled to reach base for the first time in his second plate appearance. And in his third plate appearance, with one man on, he looked to do more than just reach base. DiMaggio comes into the batter's box. Magley gets set. Joe connects with a solid blow and clouts a mighty two-run homer into the upper left field deck. It's his eight-round trip wallop in 10 World Series. Dara scores ahead of Joe, and the Yanks go out ahead 4-1. to It's their biggest inning in the series so far. So, Joe DiMaggio hits a home run there. The Yankees end up winning that game 6-2. to And in game five, he went three for five with an RBI single and a two-run double in a 13-1 win. So now the Yankees are just one game away from another championship. And in game six, he went one for two with two intentional walks and a four to three win, which gave Joe DiMaggio his ninth World Series championship. And it ended up being his final one, as on December 11th of that year, just two weeks after turning 37, he announced his retirement and said, if I can't do it right, I don't want to play any longer. So with the end of his playing career, Mark's kind of the start of a uh, of a romance. And I don't usually like to get into the two personal lives of of players, you know, talking this one about you have to dating life or anything, but I exactly this one I really have to because you know this makes Joe DiMaggio sort of a uh, a cultural icon. It's very, very famous and um part of the reason I put him on the list was uh, was this relationship and what it meant to culture and you know how he was you know still able to be a cultural icon uh, after he retired so uh, it's it's about the relationship with him and, and Marilyn Monroe who is a legend in, in her own right uh, being an actress and you know something about uh, dying young as well will kind of 
immortalize you as well. Um, so in 1952, uh, DiMaggio asked an acquaintance to set up a date with up-and-coming actress Marilyn Monroe, who ended up being the biggest celebrity of the 1950s, uh, I guess I guess is the um, consensus. And uh, they ended up making headlines by marrying each other in January of 1954. But with Monroe being career-driven and DiMaggio wanting a more traditional wife that could raise children and uh, sort of stay with the family for the most part, uh, as was, you know, the post-World War II dream, uh, Monroe filed for divorce after nine months of marrying each other. And there was sort of a break between any communication with the two of them. And years after, uh, Monroe and DiMaggio became good friends uh, after a while, but not really became, uh, planning to become uh, the power couple that they once were. And when Monroe died in 1962, he arranged the funeral and he did not allow Hollywood elites uh, or the Kennedys to come to the funeral as uh, what seems to be he believed that they kind of contributed contributed to her downfall. You know, Marilyn Monroe, uh, she had, she developed, you know, mental health problems, anxiety and things of that nature. And she ended up dying, taking too many, um, taking too many sleeping pills, I believe it was. And uh, yeah, it, you know, DiMaggio kind of ended up even with Marilyn Monroe being a cultural icon herself, he really ended up being the one that had the most desire for her, you know, while, while she was living and, and after she was living and uh, it seemed, seemed he really, he really cared. It wasn't a facade. So that's yeah. kind of the, uh, the cultural um, avenue with, with Joe DiMaggio, you know, even after he was playing baseball, he was in the limelight and uh, had a big impact with, uh, with Marilyn Monroe. So more on his post-career, Joe DiMaggio was elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1955. And he stayed out of the limelight after Marilyn Monroe's death. But in fact, he did become a line in Simon Garfunkel's 1968 song, Mrs. Robinson. So it's a little name job there. And uh, when lead singer Paul Simon was asked about the line, he said, quote, the Joe DiMaggio line was written right away in the beginning. And I don't know if I, and I don't know why or where it came from. It just seemed so strange. Like he didn't belong in the song. And then, I don't know, it was so interesting to us that we kept it in. So it's one of the most well-known lines that we, I've ever written. So uh, just for the heck of it, Joe DiMaggio was included and it ended up working out for everyone. And in the 1968 and 69 seasons, DiMaggio served as a coach and vice president for the athletics who had just moved to the Bay Area where he was originally from. And when fans and sports writers voted for the MLB All-Centennial team in 1969, DiMaggio was voted as the greatest living ball player. And after that, he requested to be uh, referred to by that title at all events. 
I, w- I would do the same. I don't blame him. And in 1970, when he was a spokesman uh, for New York's Bowery Savings Bank, the Mr. Coffee coffee maker. So that was cool. And on October 12th, 1998, he was admitted to Regional Memorial Hospital in Hollywood, Florida. And two days later, he underwent surgery for lung cancer. Unfortunately, he never fully recovered from this, and he passed away on March 8th, 1999, at the age of 84. So... Joe DiMaggio, unfortunately, is no longer with us, but he lived a great life both on and off the field. And as for his all-time ranks, he is 10th all-time in career slugging with a 579 and 12th in OPS with a 977. And of players with 7,500-plus plate appearances in the live ball era, his his 325 average ranks 11th. And his 41st, he is 41st in career post he is 41st in career position player B-War and 34th in position player F-War. So now it's time for the Joe DiMaggio edition of... How about that? You've, probably, you've heard that button plenty of times, but this is oh, yeah. the uh, reflection of his entire career and what he was able to do, you know, not just, you know, in his rookie year or um, his before in his first five seasons for six seasons age 35 or older looking at the entire career of Joe DiMaggio and where Joe Joe DiMaggio stands alone. So his eight seasons with 20 plus home runs, 25 plus doubles and 10 plus triples remain the most in baseball history. And his four qualifying seasons with a 1050 plus OPS and 40 or fewer strikeouts remain the most in baseball history. DiMaggio also had seven seasons with 125 plus RBI and 40 or fewer strikeouts. No one else in baseball history has more than four such seasons. How about that? And DiMaggio also had six seasons with 30 plus home runs and 35 or fewer strikeouts. No one else in baseball history has more than three such seasons. And lastly, he remains the only player in baseball history with 350 plus career home runs and less than 400 career strikeouts. How about that? So that is where Joe DiMaggio stands alone quite a lot. And in terms of his legacy, um, first you could say, uh, according to many, there was much more to DiMaggio's ability than what his stat sheet said. So a long quote from Society of American Baseball Research says, given the relative brevity of his career, DiMaggio's totals don't measure up to those of many other major stars, but he was admired not only for what he did on the field, but how he looked doing it. Columnist Jim Murray wrote, Joe DiMaggio played the game at least a couple of levels higher than the rest of baseballs, uh, the rest of baseball. A lot of guys, all you see, all you had to see to know they were great was a stat sheet. DiMaggio, you had to see. It wasn't only numbers on a page, although they were there too. It was a question of command, style, grace. And Continuing on with Society of American Baseball Research, 
In the eyes of his contemporaries, Joe DiMaggio was universally considered the best player they had ever seen. Even his arch rival, Ted Williams, said, I have always felt I was a better hitter than Joe, but I have to say that he was the greatest baseball player of our time. He could do it. He could do it all. Uh, Stan Musial, the often overlooked third member of the great triad of the 1940s and 1950s, said, there was never a day when I, there was never a day when I was as good as Joe DiMaggio at his best. Joe was the best and the very best I ever saw. A Pulitzer Prize winning columnist Red Smith called DiMaggio indisputably the finest ball, ball player of his time. Rico Petroselli, a New York native who played for the Red Sox between 1965 and 1976, recalled, recalled the going to Yankee Stadium as a youngster. We were in the bleachers, and Joe DiMaggio was still playing. I looked around and noticed nobody was watching the, watching the pitcher throw the ball. Everyone was looking at DiMaggio. When he'd catch a ball, he'd lope after it. It was just beautiful to watch. I'll never forget it. An unsigned column in the Washington Post on July 2nd, 1941, the day after DiMaggio surpassed George Sisler's consecutive hit, consecutive game hit streak, placed the Yankee star among, placed the Yankee star alongside the other quote unquote Olympians of baseball, such as Cobb, Ruth, and Speaker. Instead of his style, there is something about it, at bat and in the field that suggests some of, the, some of the great sculptures of the Italian Renaissance, Donatello's, for example. In the batter's box, DiMaggio is the picture of understated calm. He stood there motionless, hands and head still, feet wide apart. Only at the last moment, when he whipped the bat around in his trademark long swing, did he unleash the force that he kept under tight control. DiMaggio was no less adept at keeping his emotions under tight control, at least in public. DiMaggio embodied sprezzatura, the Italian term for the ability to make the difficult look easy. Teammate Jerry Coleman called him the only professional athlete I've ever seen who had an imperial presence. So DiMaggio was the the most respected player of his time you know you can argue statistically who was the best you know we 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 are both you know big ted williams fans and you know stan musual is one of the best as well but dimaggio had dimaggio definitely had the greatest respect and you know Absolutely. he's a big eye test guy people people like people like the way he looked out on the field for sure um if you uh, if you think that way so for many he was a man you had to see to believe um he's still uh dimaggio still had amazing stats uh putting up six six win seasons and three eight win seasons according to baseball reference and dimaggio also had one of the best starts to a career ever uh, he had the fifth most career b war uh, for a player in their first six seasons so Definitely one of the best starts to a career ever. And DiMaggio is also one of many players who had some of his best years robbed by war service. Yeah. 
And if not, <clears throat> if not for those years being taken away, uh, he may have been able to accumulate 100 wins above replacement and uh, been right up there in terms of, you know, count statistics and even, you know, the rate statistics as well, where he was already kind of immortalized. And also in DiMaggio's legacy, uh, you know, one one takeaway, one theme of, of DiMaggio's career was he had the ability to hit for power while avoiding strikeouts like no one else ever in the history of the game. Uh, it's, pr- it's pretty wild how many home runs he was able to hit while avoiding strikeouts, especially when it's kind of contradictory to, you know, look to hit for power and also avoid strikeouts. But somehow he was able to do it. There were so many years where he had more home runs than strikeouts, which is extremely, extremely hard to do uh, in, in any era. And uh, DiMaggio was also a staple of the World Series. He went to 10 and won nine and 13 seasons played. So that really kind of goes without saying. And uh, ultimately, DiMaggio is a legend. Uh, his legend is immortalized in many different ways. Uh, he's a baseball icon, being one of the greatest center fielders of all time, winning World Series after World Series. He's a Yankee icon as well one of the only men in Monument, in Monument Park being immortalized in that way. Uh, and he's a cultural icon. You know, he's in not only uh, Mrs. Robinson, but many other songs. And uh, he dated the, um, he married the biggest celebrity of the 1950s. Uh, and he was, you know, uh, voted by fans and sports writers as the greatest living ball player in, in 1969. So he was, uh, you know, a baseball icon, Yankee icon, cultural icon, and uh, he's been immortalized in so many ways. Very interesting character. And, you know, that's why I, why I put him on the list is yeah. there's so many ways you could, uh, you could talk about him. So, I mean, I had a few takeaways, you know, you talked about obviously missing those years because of war and, you know, you talk about getting to 100 wins above replacement. He probably could have gone far beyond that. I mean, not only did he miss three years right before, right as his peak was happening, but, you know, you obviously saw what kind of effect that had on him. Like, it was scarring for him, which understandably so. Uh, and it, his production did sort of dip down a little bit uh, afterwards. So he definitely could have had a lot of much better seasons, not only in the time he missed, but also afterwards. Uh, so that's unfortunately that we got to miss that, but I'm glad that he was obviously able to compensate uh, in the years prior. I mean, he got going immediately. Also, just winning nine World Series in 13 seasons played is hysterical to me. That's that's ridiculous, even if the playoffs was just one round and he was on the Yankees for his entire career. Like, that is, that is astronomical to me. Yeah, Go, going, like, even getting there, it's sort of, I guess, technically an easier route. They went nine and one in those in those yeah. series, and it's wild. And I think, I mean, I guess, I mean, it it is a testament to how great those teams were. But yeah, I mean, some of those seasons without without Dimaggio, that they, they weren't gonna they weren't gonna get there. Like no. you know, when sometimes the margin would be like more than ten games, and obviously, I guess they would get there without Dimaggio. But definitely a staple, and you know, also he kind of. Uh, set up the platform for uh, Mickey Mantle as well. I, I forgot yeah. to mention, 
you know, from one great Yankee center fielder uh, to the next great Yankee center fielder, you know, he, he, uh, they, their careers overlapped by one year. So maybe they, maybe he kind of helped out mantle a little bit. Um, and mantle went, went on to have a great career of his own. He won, uh, I think it was seven world series championships him, uh, himself. So yeah. Um, you know, definitely in, in that aspect set up the franchise very well. You know, another guy we're talking about who, uh, spent his entire career with one team and yeah, I guess that's, uh, I guess that's Joe DiMaggio. So we hope you enjoyed the Joe DiMaggio part of the episode. Um, if you are on, or if you're listening on Apple podcasts or Spotify and want to watch the videos with us, uh, go to our YouTube channel It's called above replacement radio and subscribe to the YouTube channel and, you know, smash that like button, of course, obviously, as everyone says. <laughs> and if you want to follow us on social media, follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta, follow Daniel on Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore Curran and follow the show on Instagram, of course, at above replacement radio. And uh, also, also we would like to thank. Yeah, we would like to thank baseball reference fan graphs. MLB on YouTube and Society of American Baseball Research for their contributions. As always, these shows would not be possible without them. Yes, they are the uh, the information banks for yeah. all these shows. They're uh, huge in terms of us being able to create the content uh, for the history episodes. So we hope you enjoyed the Joe DiMaggio part of the episode, and we hope to see you tomorrow, where we are going to be talking about the 2019. Washington Nationals. See you then.